Gina Yashire is the reincarnation of her grandmother, Patience, sent to fulfill all of her dreams, live a life unfeathered by men or children. She dreams of making a name for herself in America as a comic, but it will take having to endure the insidious racism and her loving but strict Nigerian mother to make it all happen. In this episode, Yashire joins us on the show to talk about her debut memoir, Cack Handed. I'm Denny. And I'm Veronica. Join us on this episode of the Vulgar Geniuses Podcast. Support for this podcast comes from Park Ave CDs, purveyors of new and used vinyl and CDs, clever gifts, books, and more. This year, Park Ave CDs celebrates 37 years. They'll also be celebrating Record Store Day 2021 on June 12th and July 17th. Visit in-store or online at parkavcds.com for details. Are you currently looking for a bookstore that has a great selection of books? Well, Kizzy's Books and More is that bookstore. Visit www.kizzy'sbooksandmore.com to purchase your next book for our book club. Use coupon code VULGARGENIUS to receive 10% off the subtotal of your first order. Hello, everybody. Hello. People of the internet. Here we are once again with an amazing podcast. Um, this one is extra special because we are joined by the wonderful and talented um, Gina Yashere. She is a comedic icon. She is the co-creator and co-executive of CBS TV show Bob Hart's Abishola and now can tack on author the author title she is here to talk to us about her debut book cack handed welcome to the show gina how are you today i am wonderful thank you very much good to be here thanks for having me happy (laughs) birthday yes thank you today is the day Yes, your, your book is yeah. in the world. Everybody knows you, and I would be remiss if I don't tell you. My mom has been asking me every day for the last few weeks when we were going to talk to you. So she's gonna be so oh, excited to hear this podcast. That's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> so, please tell us a little bit about your book and why you chose to write the part of your life story now. Yeah, so the book is basically a memoir. <clears throat> it starts from the beginning. Me born and raised in England, Nigerian immigrant parents, what it was like uh, coming up in England, because people seem to think that, that England is so genteel and that the racism that we, we, black people face in America is not the same as it is in England. But it so certainly is. We forget that the Brits invented racism. <laughs> they made the blueprint. <laughs> yeah, they made the blueprint. So basically, um, basically talks about that, talks about my journey as a kid, in England, being spat on by skinheads, being chased, but also some of the other issues I had coming up. But it's not all just doom and gloom. There is some funny stuff in there, but it talks about my relationship with my mum, family, how I got into comedy, that journey, and basically ends with me getting on a, a plane to come to America. 
So it's, yeah, a complete memoir from beginning up to that point. Um, what, when, you know, I didn't even, how the book came about, Throwback Thursdays on Instagram uh, and Flashback Fridays. I used to post an old picture and tell an elaborate story behind the picture. And people were like, oh my God, these stories are so interesting. We didn't know about you, this about you, this is so fun. You should write a book, you should write a book. And so many people were saying that. So I started saving those posts in a folder and just going, well, never know, maybe one day I will write a book. And around that same time, this is how the universe works. Around the same time, um, Michelle Buteau, uh, another comedian, good friend of mine, host of The Circle and many other things, blowing up right now. She calls me up and she's like, bitch, uh, my lit agent <laughs> loves your comedy. I'm going to introduce you to because he thinks you to you should write a book. And so she introduced me to her lit agent, Robert Ginza. We met up in New York and he was like, I'm a big fan. I've been a fan. You know, uh, I think you should write a book. And so I sort of sent him, I wrote a little synopsis based on all the throwback Thursdays and all the stories that I've been saving. Wrote the synopsis, sent it to him, and then we shopped it around publishers. And around that time, again, how the universe works, um, Tra uh, Tracy Sherrod, who is a editor at Amistad, which is a subsidiary of HarperCollins, had emailed my agent going, would you be interested in writing a book? So this was all kind of happening around the same time. So we sent her the book and she was like, uh, the synopsis, she was like, oh yeah, done. Uh, done, Bob and Shakespeare, any publishers, I'm taking it, let's go. And that's how the book came about. And this was back in 2018. So this is before I even got the TV show. But I, 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 I sat on it for a while because I'm a hardcore procrastinator and did nothing. But then the pandemic hit and I was like, oh, I gotta write this book. I gotta write this book. So I basically wrote this book in the pandemic. Oh, and you killed it because we ate this book up from beginning to end. And when we finished, oh. we were like, oh, we want more. more. <laughs> and happened? I think that was the catch. Cause you That's know. the catch. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I, 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 I stopped it at coming to America. I mean, originally I wasn't. I was going to try and get all of the America chapters in, but the family stuff took up so many pages and all the journey up until that point. So I was like, I don't want to squeeze everything because America was a whole other journey. And that could be a whole other book. So I, I called the publisher. I was like, I know in the original synopsis, uh, I was covering my journey to America and how, what America was like for me. But I think I'm going to stop it at Stephanie on the Plains of America. I think that's a really good end. And if there's enough interest in the book and it does well, then we move on with the rest of the journey for book two. We're interested. We're, We're interested. interested. You can just write it for us. Ah, uh, so you, you like, I'm so glad you like the book. You never know you're writing it. You just never know if it's going to be good or not. You don't know. Right, True. right. Now, I'm glad that you you talked about how most of the book, you know, dealt with your family. So we wanted to know, like, when writing a memoir, um, it's easy to get into a mindset that you're writing your life story. But mm -hmm. when you sit down, and you write, you realize that your story involves a lot of people. And yes. so you made it very clear that your mother does not like her business out on Front Street. No, she doesn't. Right. So how was the news received by your family when you decided that you were going to share your story? <laughs> not great. <laughs> uh, not great. Um, so with my mom, I fed into her ego because I'm like, mom, listen, uh, I've been doing stand up about you for years. I've been talking about you on stage for years. And you know that I always talk about you with respect. I've never denigrated you and I would never do such a thing. I respect and love my mom too much. So I said to her, look, I'm going to be telling stories that you ain't necessarily want to have out in the public domain, especially the stuff about my stepfather and the physical abuse that she suffered at his hands. And I was like, there's story out, stories out there that you're not going <clears> to <throat> like being out there. But here's the thing. This book is a testament 
to your work ethic, to your tenacity, to your unwillingness to let, let the world stop you from gaining what you need to gain and achieving what you need to achieve. So this book is going to be your legacy. Like long after you're gone, people will know who you are, know your name and know what you did for us kids. So I'm like, yes, these stories are difficult, but it will show that you went through all these difficulties and came out the other side victorious. So that's how I sold the book to my mum. And, and my mum was like, okay, okay, I like that. Uh, <laughs> my brothers, fine. You know, me and my brothers were tight. This is, that's my crew. My sisters, <laughs> you've read the book. You've read They've the book. Already... So, uh, they haven't actually. So the relationship with my sister is a little bit more complicated. And, but here's the, here's the thing, I'm telling the truth. So I'm telling the truth. So you know, take it or leave it. That That's just the way it is. I'm telling the truth. So, yeah. Now, speaking of your mom, there are some moments in the memoir uh, where you touched on, you know, that I that I definitely picked up, the criminalization of the Black body. And yeah. there are two moments that stick out the most. And it was an incident that happened with you and a white man while you were at school. And then another moment with your youngest brother. Um, and well, the guy that beat me up outside the school. Yes. Him. Right. And yes. uh, so you write that your mother um, refused to give uh, your, uh, to keep, for the teacher to keep Shaggy's item. Oh, I don't want to spoil yes. it, it's such a good yeah. part of the book. Yeah, yes. You don't have to read it. <laughs> you yes. got to pick it up. Um, so that she could use it as an example to criminalize her son at a later date. What yes. do you want to convey about your mother being an advocate for her children when these acts happen? Well, it's just, you know, I wrote those because I wanted to show that, you know, that a lot of the, when you read the book, you think, oh my God, her mother was so overprotective and sometimes mean, and it was just, you know, and, and when I talk about the physical discipline, but I'm like, it all came from a place of love. My mother loved us and wanted to protect us. And she went out to bat for us. And when it was time to be her against the world for her children, she stepped up. And so I just wanted to tell those stories. So you see that, yeah, she, she was living in a country that's not familiar to her. She, you know, she was struggling, but when it came to her children, she would do whatever it took to protect her kids. And I wanted, and, and, you know, and it showed her strength of character. So I wanted to, to that's why I wanted to put those stories in there. And, and yeah, and for, for her to have that foresight to go, you're not gonna criminalize my child. Yeah, you know, not many parents would have had the strength or the wherewithal to do that or would have even known what was being done or being aware of what was happening or even knew that they had the agency that they could do that. Right. So for, for my mom to do that, it, you know, it shows how powerful she is as a person. Yeah, that, that definitely speaks volume because for me, like that reading that particular moment, both of those mm -hmm. moments, but that quote, it just resonated so much with me because it's something that they want to hold on they want to keep so that yeah. they can pull it up and say but remember when that's why yeah. they you know people dig deep into people's records when exactly. things are done to us so that they can say well you know y'all might exactly. be tears but this is what they've done and then, yeah you know. here's a picture of this guy with this you know yeah so yeah. yeah yeah um so i grew up watching british television on bbc <laughs> and pbs such yeah. as like desmond's and are you being <laughs> served <laughs> <laughs> so the english have a very distinct style of humor 
um, to its being is like its own language. And you have definitely mastered your craft all over the world. How are you able to fine tune your gift, not only in England, but all over the world to the point where you have basically become multilingual in, in comedy? Well, um, I never considered my, my humor quintessentially British. Never considered it that because uh, I never always thought I belonged in England. Like from childhood, I didn't think I belonged in England. I thought I should have been born an American. I, I you know, I watched all the American TV shows. So my comedy was more American in style in that I'm very in your face, I'm very brutally honest. So my comedy kind of lent itself better to the American sensibilities and British, because British comedy was very dry and very, it's considered dry and, and, and that is not my kind of comedy at all. Um, but catering for different audiences, I love to travel. I love to immerse myself in various cultures. When I go to a country, I'll go and I'll, I'll, I'll walk around and I'll go to the markets and I'll, I'll make notes about what is happening and then I'll take that to the stage. And when I was coming to America, uh, we've seen all your movies. We know all your shows. We know what you eat. We know what we know everything about you because we've had all your TV and movies. So catering for the American audience, you know, I was an, very much I played the fish out of water, the outsider looking in on American culture, which was not hard to do because I, you guys might not know anything about us, but we know everything about you through your movies and television. Everything, everything. Yeah. <laughs> so in regards to your writing process, it seems that you know your story just poured out of you. Um, poured out, yeah. Yes. We know you shared some of those things at some point and it made into your stand-up like we were talking about, but we're, we're curious how long did, did it for you to write free to write this book you said you write it during the pandemic did you mm -hmm. find um other parts harder to write than others uh i found it cathartic actually um i never had a particular like some writers are very disciplined they sit and think we're gonna write four four hours a day i'm not that <laughs> not that person at all i will write nothing for a month and then i'll go oh shit, deadline <laughs> And that is how I wrote. I just sit and write for 10 hours straight and then go, oh, my brain is tired. I don't want to look at this for another. And yeah, so I do that. And that's how I wrote. It was very sporadic. It was all, it was organic uh, in a way. I'd go, you know, I'd make notes. I had notes in my phone go, oh, I want to do, you know, I go, oh, let me tell the story about this. Uh, so I'd make notes when things came to mind because I forgot some stories. Like there's a chapter about my suicide attempt when I was 16. I'd forgotten about that. My brother, when I was talking to my brother, my brother goes, you're going to tell the story about the suicide attempt. I was like, holy shit, I forgot that. <laughs> so it's very, so yeah, it literally, I, I had to keep making notes because I, you know, it, I, you forget things or, and then I'd call my mum and go, make sure I've got this right. I'll call my brother and go, this is what I remember what happened. Is that what happened? And he'd go, no, that's not what happened. It happened this way and this way. So that's how I wrote. But I, yeah, it was literally, I'd write for hours nothing for weeks, write for more hours, go back to what I'd written before, read it all, keep rewriting, stop, go back, read it again, uh, still rewriting, <laughs> then write more. And that's how I did it. It was all over the place, but it worked out in the end, you know? Were there ever moments where you were just like, oh God, I just can't, I can't write today. Like, it's just too much. Oh yeah, for days. Like there were times where I'd go, oh God, I can't even look at this book anymore. When is it over? When is it over? I mean, I didn't even want to write it the first time. I wanted to, I I hired a ghostwriter in the beginning because I was like, ah, I'm not going to have time to write this. I don't know if I can even write a book. 
And then she started working on it. And I was like, oh, she don't sound like me at all. This is, this is not me. You know, when someone says the word diaspora 76 times in a sentence, I'm like, that is, yeah, that is not me. It's not me. So I had to fire her. I had to fire her and uh, start again from scratch. So yeah, so that also had me behind and worrying about deadlines because I was like, oh yeah, the, the, she's gonna write it. So I don't even have to think about it. And then six months later, I'm like, oh, she ain't gonna write because this is terrible. And I had to start again. So I was like, oh God. Ugh. Well, so, yeah. we're glad because you know we we definitely need to hear your voice yes. and it be yes. authentic. So we're yes. glad she was terrible. So yeah. Be- well, yeah, now, I'm, I'm now glad she was. I mean, at the time I was like, uh, I paid her a ton of money and I'm very pissed <laughs> off. But then I was like, you know what? I wrote a book. I wrote it myself. And now I know that I can do it. And that gives me more confidence going forward for the next book. Right. If there is one, depending on how well this one sells. Who knows? You just don't know. But I am proud of this book. I think I've written a really good book. I didn't know until I was doing the audio for it. When I was reading it, I was like, I, I can't even tell if this is funny. I don't even know if this is... You know when you're in something for so long, you, don't, you, you can't see the wood for the trees. I couldn't tell whether it was good or not, or interesting or not. People were telling me it was good. My friends and stuff that I was sending it to. But I was like, you're just saying that because you're my friends. I... I'm in it and I'm just like, I'm so bored of this book now. I hate it. So for a while I hated it. But when I went in the studio to do the audio, I was like, oh, this is a good book. Yeah. You're like, I this did is good. Yeah. <laughs> did yeah. you get to the part where you're like, oh, yes, I get to read this part. It's my favorite yeah. part. Yeah, I mean, and the sound engineer that I was working was like, oh my God, when are you coming in next? Because I want to hear the rest of it. I want to hear the rest of it. When? So it, when the sound engineer, who has listened to a million books and recorded a million shows, is going, Jesus Christ, when are you coming in? I can't wait for this. I can't wait. Then you go, oh shit, this is a good book. <laughs> yes, that's a true sign. <laughs> so mm-hmm. if you had one piece of advice to the younger Gina, what would it be? Uh, be who you are. Don't worry what people think. Uh, people will love you for who you are later on. And those who don't, fuck them. That would be <laughs> one piece of advice I'd give to younger Gina. And also don't compare yourself to other people. Enjoy the journey you're on. Look forward. Stop looking sideways. Look forward. Don't look backwards. Enjoy the journey. Uh, now that you're in America, did it meet every expectation you imagine? Yes and no. Yes, because I knew everything. I'd seen the movies. I, you know, I lived in America in my head before I got here. Um, and people are like, oh, but the racism. Yeah, I suffered the same racism in England. So it made no difference to me. At least in America, it's in your face. They tell you to your face, you know. Um, so yes and no. Uh, as a comedian, when I came here, I struggled to get work in the beginning. Uh, that was a, uh, an eye opener. I came here thinking, look, I'm coming. I'm funny. I'm good. I will get work and I will make a living. And that's not how it goes in America. Uh, The clubs out here are like, no, you have to be famous. You have to sell tickets. If you're not selling tickets, we're not booking you. Whereas in England, it was the other way around. People go to the club based on the reputation of the club. You know, if the club is good, they go. They don't know who's going to be on. So basically all the comedians get paid the same money so you can make a good living. Whereas here, it was based on the celebrity of the headliner. So if, even if you're hilarious, if nobody knows who you are, these clubs ain't booking you. So I struggled for seven years to try and earn a living in America. So that was a disappointment. But I hung in there. And here was there, you are. And here you are. Mm-hmm. Was there ever a moment where you were like, you know, maybe today is the day that I might go back home? Or were you very like determined, like, I'm never. going back? Never. Never, 
I used to go back to earn money. So when I was making no money in America, I'd call my agent in England because I was still very well known in England. I could sell, sell out theatres in England. So I'd call my agent and I'd go, time for a bank raid. And I called it a bank raid because I'd go back to England, tour, 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 get the cash, come back to America, live off that money. Then when the money ran out, agent, bank raid, let's go. And I'd book. So that's what I was doing for seven years. And I'd go, right, I'm going to go on to Australia and tour for, for four months. And I'd go and tour Australia and come back with that money and live off it in America. And that's what I was doing for seven years. For seven years, I was making no money in America. None. But I never once thought to go back because I was enjoying, even though I was making no money, I was like, I'm living the dream. You know, I used to watch Melrose Place as a kid and go, I want to live on Melrose Place. I want to live in an apartment building with a pool in the middle where I sit with my cool neighbors and we got a pool. I don't even swim. I never got in that pool once, but the fact is we had a pool and I took pictures by that pool. <laughs> so I was not going back to England, none. Definitely, you gotta post up, you gotta, you yeah. gotta flex, you gotta flex. Yes. Um, and speaking of pool, like we've seen the the renovations yes. in your stories of your house. <laughs> yeah. I do. I have to say though, I do miss your your hotel. You know, oh, like, I do miss the hotel reviews. In fact, I've got to post one because I did one of the RV. I, I did an RV trip last week, and I did a hotel a review of the RV, and I haven't had time to edit it and post it. So there will be one new review coming, but I used to love doing the hotel reviews. I loved it because <laughs> I haven't traveled anywhere for two years, even before the pandemic. My TV show took over my life and I was unable to travel. So I have not traveled for like since 20, when did I start the show? 2019, I haven't traveled since 2019. Oh goodness, I really, you gotta make up for some time. I, I gotta make up for some time. You got a yeah. TV show, I got a baby. So we haven't traveled for two years. Well, there. <laughs> well, <laughs> I feel the pain. Oh, well, you're stuck not traveling for another 10 to 12 to 19, 27. Who knows? Who knows? So we normally ask writers to tell us their top five books, but we know you share a huge love of music and television. Oh. Can you tell out of those that would be your five essential items that you could do never without? Oh, that's a hard one. What, like, TV shows? But TV shows, so music, books. books. Whichever books. of those where you like, I if I'm stranded on the island, I need these five things with me to stay sane. Oh, oh that's a hard one. <laughs> but, see, this is why I have a Kindle, because I can never choose. You know, <laughs> I, I will bring 700 books with me, and that's how I do. But books-wise, I mean, there are some wonderful authors... Uh, there was an author that uh, was my, a friend of my mother's. Her name was Butchie Mecheta, Nigerian author. Uh, she was a friend of my mom's. Uh, we read her books in school. And yeah, if you, you have to look, look her up. And she, she like, um, writers like Ngozi Chimamanda, like, she, she, she read my auntie's books. So uh, Butchie Mecheta, all her books were wonderful. Uh, there's one called Second Class Citizen about a Nigerian woman coming to England to meet her husband and the experiences, and it felt like my mother's story. So, and obviously Ngozi's books, Americana, top, one of my favorite books. I'm reading Americana and I'm like, oh my God, that, that's me. Uh, that, is, that is me, that is me. So, but you know, books, I love books. I'm gonna say Stephen King, I know he, he might be a little bit problematic, but he's definitely, <laughs> My favorite 
one of my favorite authors. Like, Which of I his love... books do you like the most? Oh, so many. He has so many. They're all very, they're, you know, I, so many, even his short stories, like Stand By Me, that movie was based on a short story by Stephen King. The, you know, The Green Mile, It, oh, yeah. Carrie, uh, The Stand. Uh, there's one based on time travel. It's called, whatever the date that uh, JFK was murdered, whatever, 1969. And it's about a guy who travels back in time to try and stop JFK being assassinated. Wonderful book. I mean, Stephen King is a genius of a writer. So like, yeah, he's problematic, but his books are wonderful. And he's problematic because when, when I look back at some of the black characters, I'm like, Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, when I was young, I didn't notice that stuff. And then I started reading more and I go, why do, why do these black characters always talk a certain way? What's with this weird jive? Vo- vo- <laughs> you know, I don't like that, but he's an old white man. Yes. And that's all he knew. And yeah. that's all he knows. So he writes what he thinks black characters are, which is irritating, but his books are amazing. But you are here bringing us with all of the knowledge of like how to actually write a book and write it well and and just eat it up. And we just want to say thank you so much for for coming on to our show. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, everybody needs to come and go to their local bookshop, pick up this book. Do Please, get this book. It's a good, it's a good, do it. Yes, yes. So we're gonna let you go because we know you're on your your journey today. Yeah, so it's enjoy the time. Thank you, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to meet you, Gina. Nice um, to meet you. Just so you know, we went to the same Catholic school for your elementary school. <laughs> I in the Philippines, you're in London, but yeah. we're both product of colonization. Oh <laughs> my God! So here we are doing yes, it great. <laughs> We did, we, we, did we, 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 we did it. We did it. We did it. All right, Gina, take care. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Bye. Take care. We hope you enjoyed our show. Follow us on Instagram at Vulgar Geniuses Book Club. Our theme song was produced by Sean Kantrowitz. Follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Sean Dammit. That's spelled S-E-A-N-D-A-M-M-I-T. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. See you next time. Deuces.